Reel on Reels, Episode 7, The Cable Guy, Somebody to Love? Hello everybody and welcome to another episode of Reel on Reels. I'm Jeremiah. And I'm Rob. And as you know, today we're talking about The Cable Guy, which is um, a highly underrated movie. I think we both would agree. Oh yeah. And a childhood favorite. Yes. And one that uh, we just enjoy revisiting to this day. Yeah. Um, not exactly a masterpiece, but we'll get into a lot of reasons why. I disagree. Oh, okay. And, right off the bat. Uh, yeah, I would watch this movie a lot as a kid. I've probably seen this movie, I, I, I don't even know. There were, there, were, there were periods where I'd watch this movie every day as a kid for wow. like months. Yeah, I mean, I know uh, my and, brother and I watched it quite a bit. Yeah, and other Jim Carrey movies like Dumb and Dumber. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. We were '90s kids, and yeah, so we know all the Jim Carrey movies and the Adam Sandler movies, and yeah, this one is, uh, I think, much more relevant today than it has ever been. Yeah, it's increasingly it's, relevant. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting because it's um, you wouldn't expect that from just some like '90s, like kind of late '90s comedy that was just kind of a mainstream movie. Like yeah. it's not, you wouldn't think of it would be prescient or that would have that kind of depth to it, but mm-hmm. it does have, you know, it's kind of a cautionary tale that's could be cut. That has become more relevant in a lot of ways yeah. with mental illness and with technology and, um, social media. Right. Um, yeah, but kind of like, they they didn't even have a concept of social media back in 1996 when this yeah. movie came out. But we, uh, before we get too we far get ahead of ourselves, yeah, before here. we be, like we always do, we always do. <laughs> of course, you've come to expect uh, that. So we're also afterwards we're gonna play a game, a new game called Point Dog Millionaire. Point Dog Millionaire. Yeah, so we're gonna uh, play that and um, have some interesting. Trivia to dispense to your um, he- hearing apparatus. Apparati. Apparati. <laughs> and, uh, because we have multiple listeners, Rob. It, yes. We definitely have more than one. The numbers prove it, uh, Well, Rob. I mean, yeah. I mean, besides you and me, <laughs> I think we only have one. Fair enough. So, I mean, anyway, we, we, uh, we, may, we check it to make sure it's on. Of course. Not 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 at all just to hear our own voices. No, I hate that. No. Not at all. So we're um, gonna talk about the cable guy yes. today. <laughs> so the cable guy uh is a film starring Jim Carrey, Matthew Broderick, uh um, at the height of his popularity, that is. Jim at the height of Jim Carrey's popularity. Yeah. It's a, it's a, like a it's kind of a an anti buddy comedy. That's you, a good you, way of putting it. Yeah. yeah it's like there's nothing quite like it. There's stuff right. that's similar. Yeah. Um, but just a dark comedy where the buddy in the movie is, is, is like is a stalker and just constantly makes things worse and worse for you and yeah. tortures you and yeah. And this is, uh, film was directed by the one and only Ben Stiller. His I don't know if I don't know if he's directed another movie since, but at one point it was like his only directorial. Well, I'm pretty effort. sure he did. Um. Oh, now I'm blanking the name. Of course, of course, I would blank it right now. <laughs> Which one? Like, what's it about? <laughs> Tropic Thunder. Oh, uh, he. I'm pretty. He definitely wrote it. I yeah. think he might have directed it okay. too. 
Well, that I mean, that movie's great too. Right. Um, yeah, it's amazing. And this movie, I don't know why he really didn't get credit as a director in this film because it made money. It was not a failure by any means. Yeah, it made some money. It wasn't the massive success that you would expect from after paying an actor twenty million dollars. Right. Yeah, um, Jim Carrey twenty million. Yeah, they made a few million bucks off it, but you know, it wasn't the massive success that that Liar Liar a year later was, or that some of his, you know the Vase Ventura movies or Dumb and Dumber. Like it wasn't that kind of wasn't on that level. Yeah, and that was I think the main. Because people were disappointed by this movie, fans. I mean, it's got, we'll talk about it later, but it's got 50% pretty much straight across on Rotten Tomatoes, audiences and critics. Because um, fans were divided on this because it was a really, it's, you know, kind of a scary comedy. Jim yeah, Carrey plays yeah. a scary person in this. And it's a dark comedy with definitely a horror element. Yeah, for sure. oh yeah, for sure. Um, but, so yeah, this movie is about a... Um, I mean, surprise here. It's about a cable guy. <laughs> and who was originally supposed to be played by Chris Farley. Yeah. Just throwing that out there. Crazy bit of trivia. Yeah. But Jim Carrey, I can't imagine anybody else in the role besides Jim Carrey. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um and so he plays a cable guy that the film opens up with uh Stephen M. Kovacs. Um setting up his new apartment because he just got kicked out by his girlfriend for asking her to marry him. She kind of, she didn't like the question. So she kicked him out and said they needed time apart. Yeah. He, uh, Steven starts out as a bit of a, bit of a sad sack in this movie. Yeah. And uh, he's played by Matthew Broderick. Um, and he's waiting. He's just moved in. He's waiting for the cable guy to show up. They've, gave him given him a window as they're wont to do mm-hmm. um so he gave they gave him like a five hour window and he shows up right right when matthew broderick goes to take a shower he's taking a shower he's got shampoo all in his hair and the cable guy finally is there he's late um very relatable moment right <laughs> and so jim carrey he opens the door and jim carrey's there like he's like knocking excessively. Oh yeah. The first time we meet him, Jim Carrey's a real jerk. Yeah. Um, but he acts like he's joking. Right. He gets in. He literally gets in this guy's face. Like, so it should have been his first warning. Yeah. <laughs> that this guy should not be uh, trifled with. Right. Yeah. So they they give you a little bit of a warning right off the bat, and um. It does progress in an interesting way because it's not just it's a the performance and the writing have more depth to it to it than that. Like it's not just some guy who just comes into this guy's life and just starts torturing him. Right. Like there's he is a, a genuine like three dimensional character, the mm-hmm. cable guy. Oh, for sure. Played by Jim Carrey. Um, and he has there's reasons given for like why he's kind of messed up, but yeah, he's we'll also like he really is just like an inside he's just kind of like a normal guy who wants a friend. Yeah, very and lonely dude. Very lonely, yeah, yeah. And um, so he tries to do what makes sense to him. Yeah, he's as, desperate for a friend. Right, as ways to make a friend. Yeah. And so um, yeah, we can get in more to the, into more of the plot detail because yeah. that's where, that's the meat of the movie. It's like him trying to do these different things. Yeah, because at the end of his cable visit, 
he invites Steven out to uh, see the cable satellite. Um, oh, well, we forgot to get we, we forgot to say um, Jack Black is in this movie. He plays um, Matthew Broderick's friend Rick. And Kyle Gass is also in the movie, so both oh, movies yeah. of Tenacious D are in it. Yeah, I mean, before Tenacious D was well known. Yeah, this movie's got tons of guest like cameos. Owen Wilson. Oh, I, I, here, here's just a list. <laughs> um, I mean, Jack Black, Leslie Mann. Um, speaking of Leslie Mann, Judd Apatow. He married her after they made this movie. Yeah, they met on this set, and then yeah. they got married. And he was one of he's the guy that. This movie had kind of a controversy, controversial writing credit because the movie was credited as written by Lou Holtz Jr., who did write the original screenplay, but it was very innocuous. It was kind of, didn't have like the stalker element. Yeah, Apatow it. gave it all of its life. He gave right. it all of the darkness. Oh, yeah, yeah. And um, I guess he petitioned the Writers Guild to give him the writer's credit, and it didn't happen. But uh, and just... Uh, of course, in the 90s, there was a novelization for every book. And, of course, so this one had a novelization. But And I guess in that book, the writer of the novel credits Judd Apatow as this writer of the screenplay, along with the actually, the originally credit, credited writer. Well, that's a good thing. The originally credited writer. <laughs> Tongue twister. Yeah, that is a bit of a hard phrase. Originally, cl- cl- oh man, I uh, screwed up. On fr- I thought I'd just go fly through it, but see. Um, <laughs> so yeah. Um, anyway, Jack Black is Matthew Broderick's best friend in this movie, and he they're talking on the phone, and Jack Black says, "Hey, slip your cable guy fifty bucks." They do this all the time. He'll give you all all the channels for free. The cable channels, you know. Uh, the, the the nudie channels, everything. <laughs> and Matthew Broderick's kind of like a meek guy in this. Um, right. And he's like really shy, doesn't really want to impose. He's not comfortable doing that kind of thing. But he decides to ask the guy. Mm-hmm. Um, and Jim Carrey gets up in his face. <laughs> and is like, would you have just done it illegal? And this date, you could be fined up to $5,000. Or spend spend six months on a fair correctional facility, and then he like starts laughing maniacally and tells him he's joking. Um, I'm just jerking your chain. I'll hook you up. <laughs> and so yeah, he hooks him up with all the free all the free stuff. And at that that point, he leaves the apartment. And just as he's about to leave, he invites Stephen out to see the satellite where they get the cable signal. Um. And Steven's like, okay, yeah, we'll do that sometime. Just kind of try to <laughs> brush him off. And uh, he's like, okay, how about tomorrow? <laughs> so he eventually agrees because he's, you know, the guy just did him a big favor. And he's kind of, he, I would, would it seemed like he felt kind of beholden. Right, or, exactly. You know, um, like he owed him. And right off the bat, already the cable guy is planning, you know, he's making plans here. It's like, oh, he'll right. feel obligated because of the. Right. Yeah, this movie is like, it, you watch it, it's it rewards multiple viewings because there's just so many traps that this guy sets. Right. Um, for Matthew Broderick, he sets Matthew Broderick up in so many ways in this movie. Um, so that when he starts pulling away from him as a potential friend, then he can start, you know, setting those, he has strings that he can pull like a puppet master. Right. Right. Um, and I don't know, I guess that kind of ties in with his upbringing. We, we find out later, 
in the movie that he was raised by the television. His mom, yeah. probably his mom was probably like a prostitute or something, and she uh, would just. He was there alone all the time. There was no yeah. dad in it the picture, of, apparently. Yeah, it's kind of implied that she goes to happy hour to right. find clientele. Right. Um, and while he's kind of glued to the TV. Yeah. And she called the TV the babysitter. And so it just makes sense because these traps, it kind of, it's so dramatic. He's yeah. so used to and what you just said just clicked another light bulb in my head. Like, there's been several that, that have that have had happened since I've rewatched the movie and thought about it. Right. But the babysitter, the whole thing about the TV being the babysitter, mm-hmm. he literally says at the end, "Somebody has to kill a babysitter." Yeah, yeah. Mind blown. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I mean, I think she says it. I think she calls it the babysitter in that in that flashback. I, I think so too. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so the next day, Jim Carrey shows up at Matthew Broderick's house and takes him out to the satellite on what he calls the information superhighway. Superhighway. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, we probably shouldn't gloss over the fact that Jim Carrey has a lisp this entire right. <laughs> Um His character has a you lisp. You probably already figured that out if you haven't yeah. seen it. Yeah. And um, yeah, if you haven't seen this, go see it. It's It's fantastic. But- this movie was. We also forgot to mention this movie. This movie was made in 1996. No, we mentioned that. I did. Hmm. I mentioned that. Oh well. Excuse me. You are excused. Um, and then so yeah, this uh this movie also I forgot to mention that list earlier. Earlier, it's got like pretty much every cast member of the Ben Stiller show, mm-hmm. um, as like co- uh, as cameos in this. I mean, Ben Stiller shows up in it. We'll get to his role in a little bit. Um, Owen Wilson, Janine Garofalo, David Cross, Andy Dick, Bob Odenkirk, Kyle Gass. Um, I mean, Tenacious D, Mr. Show. Yeah. It's like, you know, you know, all this huge talent. Yeah, Bob Odenkirk in particular. I mean, how incredible has his career ended up? Right. Being in Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul. Oh, yeah. I mean, he's probably, by the end of Better Call Saul, he might be in some ways more even more iconic than Heisenberg. Oh, oh yeah. Himself. He's such a, I mean, it's crazy. It's such a perfect casting. It is. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, eat your heart out. Walter White. Right. Or what's the guy? I can't even remember. Tread the name. lightly. I can't remember the actor's name now because I'm so, I so Brian Cranston. Brian Cranston. There we go. Um, so yeah, the next day they go out to, on the information superhighway to go see the uh, satellite and they kind of, they talk, a little bit they get to know each other there they're in like li- literally laying inside the satellite um actually looks up at the like sky. a lot of fun <laughs> yeah um it's night and they're talking about their child or you know their childhoods and um matthew broderick's situation with his girlfriend and and then so jim carrey he's calling himself chip douglas T- did we did we mention that i don't think we mentioned what name yeah, he's going by he goes by chip douglas which immediately comes off as a strange fake name. Right. <laughs> and which is proven later that, yes, it is a f- fake name from a TV show. Yeah, he uses aliases from TV shows. Everything he does is from TV shows, essentially. Right. And so he suggests that Stephen invite Robin over to his apartment to watch Sleepless in Seattle because it's on HBO. All chicks love it. Yeah. And... So 
Chip's like, or Steven's like, okay, yeah, I think that, you know, whatever. That sounds like a good idea. Um, so at this point, he's actually being a normal friend, giving good advice, that kind of thing. Right. Yeah. He's seeming seemingly normal, despite his kind of at this wacky point, he just seems first like, impression. He just seems like kind of a quirky guy. <laughs> yeah. Not not that dangerous. Right. Um, <laughs> so after that, that's when things start kind of getting weird, because that's when weird like coincidence is starting to start start to happen chip shows up to a a friendly basketball game that steven plays at with jack black and the rest of their their buddies and he shows up in like this you know goofy basketball outfit yeah like like an nba outfit from the 70s (laughs) yeah and uh during the game he starts playing by prison rules and starts like playing violently and jack black at one point is like bent over like catching his breath <laughs> and Jim Carrey has the ball and he climbs on, he runs and jumps and cl- like runs up Jack Black's back <laughs> so he could make a slam dunk. Um, he uses him as a ramp. Yeah. And that scene actually, um, the pyrotechnic or the pyro, the pyrotechnician that rigged the glass to blow out from the backboard. Cause when he slam dunks, the backboard, um, shatters and he falls to the ground. Apparently, that was blown the wrong way. It was supposed to blow back, and instead, it blew forward onto Jim Carrey. That's and nuts. Uh, so they, they, he got fired right on the spot on the set. He made the take work. He didn't. He didn't flinch or anything. So yeah, yeah. That's impressive. Because um, I mean, you're, you're paying a guy twenty million dollars to be in a movie. If somebody messes up that bad. You, right. You bet your ass you're getting fired. Definitely. <laughs> I can't even imagine, man. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's when, and after that game, Steven confronts him. Like, who are you? Like, I don't even know you. We're not friends. Because at some point, Jim Carrey says, like, we're friends. Like, yeah. We just, I just, we just met. What are you talking about? Um, and he just, you know, kind of says, you know what? This is not working out. And leaves. Mm-hmm. And he comes home, and Stephen invites Robin on that date to watch Sleepless in Seattle. And he comes home with, like, groceries and finds that the cable guy has left him, like, what, dozens of messages? Oh, yeah, on yeah. His on his answering machine? his answering machine. So, yeah, he's definitely getting stalked at this point. Right. I think this is, like, the official, you know, confirmation that something's up. Yeah, it's the turning point for sure. So Robin co- shows up for the date, and the cable's out when they'd go to turn on the movie. Oh, right. I didn't even, yeah. I didn't even go back and think about that. And he calls the cable guy because the cable guy gave him a preferred customer card that he could call, and if he had any issues, it could be taken care of immediately. Oh, that's right. He comes in, hooks it back up for him. Right. That's right. And uh, he calls him, and... Chip is immediately at the door. <laughs> he is already in the building. <laughs> He's like, the phone is ringing and there's a knock on the door. And he opens it up and the cable guy's standing there holding a, a cut wire. <laughs> it's like, is something wrong with your service? <laughs> something like that. Yeah. Um, and he sees Robbins in the apartment and is offended that Jimmy or that Steven had not returned his calls. Right. And said that if you want me to turn back your cable on, then we're, we we need to hang out tomorrow. 
So yes, already coercing him into right. doing something. And he begrudgingly agrees. And the severed cable was just for effect. All he had to do was go flip a switch. To <laughs> yeah, turn he just the cable back the switch. <laughs> and uh, turns the cable back on, and then all is good. And the next day, they go, or I don't know if it was the next day, but they they hang out as requested, as agreed upon. And Jim Carrey takes him to medieval times. Yeah, this is might be the most memorable scene. It's just uh, it's hilarious because. There, uh, there. Jean Garofalo has a really funny little cameo where she's just like this bored uh, waitress uh, serving wench. And <laughs> <Yeah>. she's <laughs> what is she? She's like, uh, she said something. She's like, here's some of your, here's some medieval Pepsi or something. Oh yeah. Well, he uh, even requests a fork. Oh right. And she's right. like, there were no utensils in medieval times, hence there are no uh, utensils at medieval times. May I, may, do you want a refill on your Pepsi? <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> great yeah <laughs> um, we have so many quotable lines it does yeah but yeah he so and then and the, <laughs> then at some point they just uh throw steven and chip into the ring and he's like oh yeah i gave the i gave the knights the free cable so they are letting me they're letting us just wail on each other with oh yeah witty medieval weapons for a while yeah the king calls down calls them down played the, by andy dick yeah the king is andy dick and he calls him down to the fighting pits and uh yeah they find jim carrey's like i give all the knights free cable they said they said it'd be cool if we go at it for a while <laughs> yes yeah, so they have a, an epic battle and steven ends up winning and um and yeah, the whole time like chip is is uh just like being overly serious, just like he oh, was yeah. overly serious at the basketball game. Yeah, he does like a there's like a Star Trek reference. He's like, uh, he's like uh, quoting Spock. Yeah, he's like, if we don't fight to the death, they will kill us both. <laughs> <laughs> and he starts doing the Star Wars battle music. Star Trek. Yeah, Star Trek music. You just you just triggered. So many fans. I know, right? So, yeah, but at the end of that, even though it's scary, it seems like Jim Carrey is going to kill Matthew Broderick during this. He's intentionally yeah, yeah. swinging weapons yeah. at his neck. It's like swinging like an actual battle axe at him. Right, and they joust, and Steven wins. He bests Chip in the jousting, and Chip holds his hand up, and the whole audience cheers, and... Stephen like is reveling in that glory right and it was kind of like a even though it was scary for a while it was a bonding it was like the first time they kind of bond right um outside of getting to know one another brilliant on on chip's part to use that as a way to get him back in his good graces oh yeah and um yeah and this movie's got a way of doing that again he's setting these traps and this one is a he's a he's a good manipulator and he used, I guess, I guess stalkers probably, you know, are such. It probably just goes with the territory of being a stalker. Yeah, and I think he's also probably just a sociopath in general. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Because we find out when, after he fixes the cable for Stephen for that sleepless in Seattle date, we see Chip sleeping in his in the cable van. He's sleeping oh, yeah. in the cable van outside of Steven's apartment watching the movie in his van. Implying that he, wow. he, that's where he's living. Because um, I think he's, I think there's a bed back there. He makes phone calls from there. 
I didn't even notice that. Holy <laughs> wow. And that's also because we that's when we started to kind of get a, an idea that maybe this guy isn't what he says he is. Right. He's not actually working for the cable company. Mm-hmm. Which we'll get to, but there's also a moment at the beginning when he actually make when they first meet after the after he sets up his cable, he gives him a comment card to send in. And he asks him where is it going and he goes, It goes to me. I'm <laughs> yeah. a perfectionist. Yeah. And that's funny. So yeah, there's like all these hints that this guy so all these foreshadow you know, all these foreshadowings of what's to come. Yeah, and you didn't even get into how um he gives Robin, Steven's girlfriend, free cable. Oh yeah. Like the free rainbow package or whatever. And you know, he while he's in, installing it, he's well he he like brags up Steven to her and like while he's installing it he goes up into the ducks and is like peeping on her while she's changing. Yeah. And he sees a birthmark on her shoulder which comes into play later in the film. Um but after they get back from the medieval times thing they go into Steven's apartment and we they find that Chip had state of the art audio visual like a home theater state of the art home theater uh installed in Steven's apartment which I don't know when or how did he even do that <laughs> I don't know uh he I guess he I don't know but it's not explained at all but Steven says he can't accept it cuz it's like it's probably like a $15,000 setup. I think that's what it was around that. I think they mentioned that in the movie. Oh, really? Like, wow. It was a lot. Um, it was a big screen TV, karaoke machine, you know, st- state of the art sound system. And so Steven refuses the gift and says, I-, I just can't take it. And Chip's like, okay, well, let's just have one karaoke party and we'll have the guys Pop pick the cherry it up. on the karaoke yeah. department. He says, he says, he says that his, uh, he has a preferred customer that, gave that stuff to him for free. Um, which we'll find out later is a lie because later on Steven gets arrested. But yeah, I guess we'll, we'll get to that. Yeah. And so the, what is the scene where he, he like breaks up with chip? What, what, what precipitates that? I don't exactly remember the, that was, um, after he gets back together with Robin, right? He says, "You know, we don't have enough. I don't have enough time to have a new friend." Oh, that's right. Um, but so th- they have a karaoke party. Oh, that happens after the karaoke party yeah, yeah. because the thing because he does another crazy thing, which is to set Stephen yeah. up with a prostitute unknowingly. Stephen doesn't At know the karaoke it's a pro- party. Yeah, Stephen doesn't know it's a prostitute, and he paid her. <laughs> yeah, he paid her. He finds out in the morning. Um, Chip's making breakfast, the scramby eggs, and yeah, Chip throws him out of the apartment. But that scene, the karaoke scene, is one of my favorites of all time because it has Jim Carrey singing "Somebody to Love" by Jefferson Airplane, and he somehow outdoes Grace Slick. It's, it's it's crazy. It's amazing. He just throws himself into it in character. It's yes, it's, it's phenomenal. Um, and Jerry Cantrell's playing the guitar. Yes, he does a lot of the music in this. Mm-hmm. Jerry Cantrell from Alice in Chains, one of my favorite bands. And they were, I think they were still together at that time <laughs> in 96. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, after the karaoke party, 
Chip tracks down. Oh, that's right. That's right. Because he knows that he crossed a line with Steven by setting him up with a prostitute. Right. So he's trying to make up for it. So he finds out Robin's going out on a date. <laughs> with, he comes up with an insane way to make up for it. Yeah. he Robin goes out on a date with a, a real douchebag played by Owen Wilson. Played so well by Owen Wilson. Oh, my God. He, like, berates waiters. He's rude. He's just, uh, he interrupts his date after asking her questions. My favorite thing was, like, after telling her she's sexy, he's like, um, I want to know all about you. And then as soon as he asks her that, she just, like, she starts talking. He's like, hold on a second. I go to the bathroom. Right. <laughs> and Chip is in the bathroom, disguised as a bathroom attendant, and beats the ever-loving hell out of Owen Wilson. Which is funny in light of liar liar because in liar liar a year later there's another scene another bathroom scene where he's beating the heck out of somebody except it's himself that he's beating up right so i'm i would assume or i would bet that that scene was there because jim carrey was like oh i want to do another bathroom yeah. brawl scene but it's going to be me that i'm beating up this yeah. time and then after that rob that's when that cable scene happened where he set up cable for robin in her apartment and at the in that scene he tells robin that he had proposed to his girlfriend once and they went bungee jumping in Mexico and she died, which convinces her, manipulates her to decide to get back together with Steven. Oh, that's right. Yeah. He even played a role in that. Wow. Right. Like this whole movie, like, yeah, it's so, it, the screenplay is so tight. It's like, yeah, it has a lot of things has a cause and effect. Yeah. It has a lot of these little details that you don't notice at first when you first watch the movie. Um, you do see, I mean, obviously you see how he's making, he starts to make Steven's life miserable in whatever way he can once he's, you know, spurned by him. But, right. um, you don't see all the little subtle ways that he sets traps for him, yeah. even when things are good in their relationship. Like before there's this nice moment where he gives him, Steven gives him some, uh, tapes, um, from the, I guess his brother is a speech therapist and he made some tapes or something. So he gives him to to chip to help him with his lisp yeah it was lose your lisp in 30 days yeah and you know it's a nice moment between them but even before that he's already he's already set him up with the prostitute he's already planning on probably taking that polaroid that he takes when with the prostitute when well, he's, he's with or- the prostitute, prostitute yeah and he's already set up to have him arrested to frame right. him he's already for- got the karaoke expects some karaoke equipment that he knows is stolen right and that's what happens because after robin gets back together with steven steven has that breakup scene with chip Saying I don't have time for a new friend. I I'm sorry. It's, this is over. And Chip, the next day, at or the next day at work, Stephen gets arrested in the office. Um, for stolen equipment for grand larceny. Yeah, and he even he even gets Stephen fired after that by sending that video to all the computers in that building and yeah, that he works at. He set up a camera in during the Sleepless in Seattle date. There was a camera in Stephen's apartment, and he broadcast Stephen talking crap about his boss's hair plugs um, all across every computer in his job. Right. Which there's there's a couple moments like that where it's kind of like, how is he doing this? Like he seems kind of omnipotent here. Yeah, um, it does get a little bit unrealistic at times. Yeah, um, because after he gets fired, he's like in the parking garage and all the alarm, every car alarm and headlights start flashing and going off. That might and, be a weakness of the film, actually, that it does part from the very real um, 
kind of plausible ways that he finds to torment him and it goes off into this kind of fantasy realm almost yeah but i think it's also it also works in in its in it's like scary factor yeah because you're just like and he has that dream where chip is like a monster who breaks down his yeah door. he's a nightmare and um it was like after so yeah steven gets released on bail and goes to his parents house for a party and Chip is there. The party scene. There's just there's just a series of great scenes with Chip. Right. Where that's what this movie is. It's like just a series of great set pieces where it's Jim Carrey gets to just explore different aspects of Jim Carrey being crazy. Yeah. But in a more psychologically interesting way than sure. he has been before. Mm. And actually that kind of, that's a good segue into talking about how this movie was kind of ahead of its time in some ways or maybe... Um, which I mean, obviously it was kind of prophetic with the technology stuff, but, um, and just kind of a cautionary tale of getting too wrapped up in technology and not forming normal human relationships. Yeah. But on media. Right. But, um, but it's a precursor to films like stranger than fiction or punch drunk love, or even with another Jim Carrey film, which is, um, eternal sunshine of the spotless mind, Mm. you know, and particularly in punch drunk love, you know, it's Adam Sandler taking his you know, kind of aggressive comedy to this very dark place Yeah, where it's like he, he has an actual, like a serious mental illness that's mm. affecting him. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, and so, but this is a kind of, this movie was kind of a precursor to those films, which are actually better films, but, um, you know, he, Jim Carrey was kind of a pioneer in that way and tra- making the transition from funny to serious. And this was, this movie was that, um, what, what's the word, uh, pivot point. Mm. And he he kind of uh, he went back on it with liar liar. Obviously, he was uh, yeah. kind of like, oh, okay, let's just do a movie that that people are not gonna, you know, be freaked out by, right? Um, so and yeah, so he goes to that party, his parents' party, and he like plays porno password. He makes like Stephen play it on his mom's team for porno password. He's like invaded. He's invaded his life, Matthew Broderick's life. He's really just gotten himself in there, wormed his way in at this point. Yeah. And he's and really getting under his skin. At, and then at some point, he was. Steven, whisp- Steven is a really mild mannered guy. That's the whole reason that his character works. Matthew Broderick just plays this just really normal, everyman, like nice guy. Yeah, yeah. Hates conf- confrontation. <laughs> yeah. And Chip whispers to him at some point during this party that he loves Robin's birthmark on her, on her back. And that's what—that's the straw that breaks the camel's back. Yeah, and Stephen loses it and punches him out. And I think he even mentions to him at some point in the, during the party that he has that Polaroid of him with the prostitute. Yeah, that's why—that's how he gets Stephen to play along. Oh he says, yeah, play that's along. Right. That's right. He's I'll... already blackmailing him. Yeah, right, Ugh, man. Um, because he, yeah, because when during the karaoke party after he sings his song, he takes a picture of Stephen and that prostitute together. Um, yeah, he just planned it out. It, there was such an intricate plan, right, right, on his part. It's just like, if it's he, like it became the focus of his life once he met Stephen. Like, okay, this is how I'm going to try to make him my friend, and this is how I'm going to get back at him if he, you know, does what they all have done in the past, which yeah. is betray me. You know, <laughs> like so he's gotten good at this, mm. and you actually find out from Jack Black later because he does some research on the guy because Stephen asked him to. You know, he find out he doesn't actually work with the cable company. He had been f- fired by them a, a long time ago yeah. for stalking customers. 
and this is just like a pattern yeah. for him. Yeah, because yeah, after he punches him out, that's when he gets fired. And then he has a nightmare about Chip coming to kill him, um, and finds out from Rick that yeah, the guy has been using aliases of TV names and stalking customers, and he got fired. And this guy's dangerous. You better lock up. And as soon as he has that conversation, he's he goes to find Robin and finds that Chip has kidnapped her. Yeah, he's taking her on the information superhighway. So he realizes that's that's the satellite. So they then there's a, just a the final act is a final showdown at the satellite, where Robin or Chip is taking Robin up in, into the towers near the satellite, and um, Stephen and him fight. It's a great scene there. It's raining and they're they're fighting in the and chip or steven satellite dish yeah and steven punches it's, it's him. it's a it's a very golden eye ending. <laughs> yeah yeah and steven punches him in the face and he loses his lisp for like a second and then he punches him again and it's back <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and i guess that part was improvised that's awesome uh, they actually not even improvised it was an accident because steve or uh because jim carrey forgot to use the lisp during that take and then when he punched him again he brought he thought it'd be funny to bring it back Oh, that's awesome. I didn't know that. Yeah. So it was just a... You just a, forgot. To, yeah, it was an accident, but it was yeah, a nice inter, improvised moment. Nice. Wow. Um, so at, eventually, they get up. They're all in the tower, and Jim Carrey says, I've I got to kill the babysitter. And he jumps off of the tower onto the satellite dish, onto the that spike in the middle, or he, that's where he's aiming towards. We find later that he's not... He hasn't landed on the spike. He missed it, and he survives. But it knocks out the television during the verdict of a very important trial that we didn't even get into. Yeah, we didn't even talk about that yet. There's another layer to the satire yeah, ben, in this movie. Yeah, Ben Stiller <laughs> is uh, playing Sam and Stan Sweet. They're uh, twin child stars. Yeah, it's loosely based on the um, Menendez but, brother trials. Yeah, and Stan had or Sam had killed Stan Sweet. Or the other way around, and there's like the highly publicized trial going on uh, throughout the yeah. whole movie. It's yeah, kind of so sprinkled in. Yeah, there's these little the little scenes where Steven's watching TV and they're covering the this this trial, this murder trial, and it's a very like high profile O.J. Simpson type thing. And yeah, so there's this other subtext of the movie about how t- the media glorifies violence and mm. pe- how people are. Um, just attracted to scandal and all this kind of sure. stuff. Yeah. And money is made off of it because like Eric Roberts stars in a movie where they're yeah. <laughs> about the trials. Yeah. Brother, sweet brother. <laughs> the trial of Stan and Stanton sweet. Before the verdict had even been issued, they're already making a movie. Yeah. And then, so yeah, the verdict is about to be issued and chip lands on the satellite, knocking out the cable in the entire town. And Kyle gas has a nice little uh, t- yeah. Uh, he's credited as, yeah. He's credited as a couch potato, <laughs> and he finds a book after the cable goes out. After he realizes the cable's not going to come back on, he finds a book and and discovers the joys of reading. <laughs> he <laughs> has like this angelic music. He has this very happy look on his face as he's flipping the pages and <laughs> yeah. like oh, reading is a thing now that the cable doesn't work. Um. So uh, yeah, after well, sorry, go ahead. I was gonna say uh, by the way. We were talking about how this movie was um, kind of panned by critics and audiences, and we'll get into a little bit more of uh, Rotten Tomatoes stuff in a second, but I just want to mention, they even made a Simpsons episode um, where, I don't really even remember the episode, but there was a scene in there 
where they're at this like museum of like like a, some kind of pop culture museum or something and uh homer grabs the the one of the displays is the cable guy script oh and it's in a section about like i don't know it's like artistic failures or something. I don't remember exactly what it was, but he grabs the script out of the case and he's like, you almost ruined Jim Carrey's career. And it's just really, this really funny scene. And so it's like, they're they're Like it's, it's like even the writers of the Simpsons were just like, Oh yeah, this movie what like that. It was that big of a deal that they even made a joke about it yeah. in this popular show, you know? And now the later seasons of the Simpsons would be in that very museum. <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> so Chip survives the fall and he's taken by, he's taken on like a medical helicopter, but before he gets on, Steven and Robin approach him and are like, what, what are your names? And they, they're like, oh, um, and they seem so happy that they, it, this movie has like a weird quasi happy ending mm-hmm. that I think is a bit of a stumble. Yeah, um, definitely and a downfall of this movie, but cause I guess Jim Carrey actually wanted his character to die at the end, which I think would have been the better ending. Um, but I think it, I, I think the reason they felt like they couldn't really do that was because it was sequel potential. Well, I don't think even that, I think it's just that it, it does. It's not really a comedy at that point. Like it just it takes you completely out of that genre, and I think that's well, just that doesn't play well. I think it but, already, but it was a comedy because it was funny the entire movie. Just because it ends with a death doesn't mean it's not doesn't make the rest of the movie unfunny. That's true. I just think they were they were probably afraid of leaving that leaving people with that taste in their mouth. I don't know. I think it would have been the better ending. I I agree that I think artistically, yeah, it would have been better if this movie had been more about. Um, yeah, if if it had had that kind of serious yeah. punctuation mark, and then, uh, I do think that would have added weight to every th- all of the serious aspects of it, the mm-hmm. Judd Apatow aspect of this movie, yeah, I guess. Yeah. But um, I don't know. It's an understandable decision. I don't know. I'm kind of uh, I'm like on the fence on that. Yeah. So um, yeah, at the end, the very end, the paramedics taking him up in the helicopter and says, uh, "You're gonna be okay, buddy." Even though he just tried to kill two people, um, yeah, that's a little unrealistic. And Jim Carrey's like, "Am I really your buddy?" And, <laughs> he just, and he gets this look on his face, like, "Okay, this guy's the next. He's, this guy's his next right victim." Um, but yeah, this I, yeah, this movie is just it's great, and I think it's a a masterpiece of dark comedy which is why i disagreed about your masterpiece comment earlier hmm interesting maybe i don't know i'd have to i'm gonna have to think on that on um you got dark comedy this and death to smoochie which i'm not a huge fan of i love it i think it's another movie that gets crapped on when um it shouldn't be and directed by danny devito who also directed duplex another Amazing dark comedy. Oh, hmm. I'm about to see that one. Oh, we got to watch that. That's so good. Um, but and it's got Ben Stiller in it. Speaking of which. Oh, okay. Um, but yeah. So what? Uh, what would you give the Cable Guy ultimately? Um, what is your score? 
I think I'm going to give it a higher rating than I would have probably given it like before we'd rewatched it and talked about it for Mm -hmm. the podcast and everything. Um, I probably would have given it like eh, a seven and be like, yeah, it's pretty good. But now I'm going to give it a 7.832. All right. (laughs) I give it an eight and a half. Okay. So, yeah, we're not that far off. Yeah, not really. Um, it does have the cinematographer that did the Pick of Destiny movie. Oh, yeah, yeah. Which is... Uh, which has got Ben Stiller in it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, of course, uh, Cable Guy has both Kyle Gass and Jack Black in it. So, uh, for us being big Tenacious D fans, mm. it's kind of an interesting little uh, connection. Yeah. Adds a little bit of something special to the movie. Definitely. Um, so, do you want to... Look at Rotten Tomatoes real quick. Yeah. yeah. I'm getting her queued up for us. Yeah, let's just read a couple of reviews. We kind of went a little long, so we'll see. Uh... Yeah, you, uh, you're you a little long-winded today, Rob. Um, sorry, hey, that's... hey, guy. <laughs> hey, guy. <laughs> Why don't you back up? You want to read some top Why credit? don't you back <laughs> the f*** off? How about, uh, how about do your job and read some top critics reviews and funny voices? fine all right um okay so david anson of newsweek says in this uneasy and uneasy making hybrid of comedy and psychological horror carrie is all aggression that guy is an awful writer in this uneasy and uneasy making hybrid of comedy and psychological horror that is a nightmare of a sentence (laughs) and the fact that carrie is all aggression does not in any way give you um, like a, a, a an opinion. It's just like that's not necessarily good or bad that he's yeah, all aggression. So that doesn't really <laughs> tell me anything. Yeah, I don't. I, the guy's immediately dismissing it because the character is the villain of the movie is crazy. Mm-hmm. I like this one, Carol Buckland from CNN.com. The film's heavy-handed message about the negative effect television has had on the national psyche doesn't help matters. Um that's the whole reason that this is more than just a silly comedy with Jim <laughs> yeah. Carrey in it. Like that is what makes this. And of course it's CNN.com. Right. <laughs> this movie heavily criticizes 24 seven trials. CNN <laughs> is the king of that. That's a good point. Yeah. Um, Jonathan Rosenbaum of the Chicago reader says, um, it's a fairly interesting effort. Much more ambitious than most carry vehicles. It's interesting that he calls it a carry vehicle. He actually misspells Jim Carrey's last name. Um, It's interesting that he calls it a Jim Carrey vehicle because I feel like this is more than a vehicle. Um, Unlike the kind of Ace Ventura movies and stuff like that. Mm. Um, It was originally written to be like a silly Chris Farley vehicle. That's how how you spelled Jim Carrey's last name, I think. Well, don't check your notes. Check. Oh, that that's even what I have in my notes. Oh, is it? Then by all means, check your notes. <laughs> all right. <laughs> Never mind. As long as they prove me right. So point point being, um, it's not really, I don't really see it as a vehicle. I think it's more interesting in that, than that. I think Jim Carrey himself and Judd Apatow made this more than a vehicle. Right. But I don't know if it could have been as successful as it was without Jim Carrey. Oh, totally. Not only financially, but just in terms of 
successfully bridging that gap between horror and comedy. Oh, yeah. Jim Carrey was absolutely the guy for the movie. I don't think Chris Farley could have pulled it off. He's the reason that... Oh, no, no, no. I think it would have been a much different film if Chris Farley had ended up playing I think, yeah, without any rewrites, it probably could have been like a a good, funny, you know, Chris Farley, silly Chris Farley movie, which I like Chris Farley. I probably would have still liked the movie. Oh, for sure, yeah. Um, But but it just would not have been the same movie. It wouldn't be the same movie. Yeah. Um, But yeah, so some user reviews. Let me see some bad ones. Two stars. Eh, not one of Jim's best films. Eh, not one of the best comments I've ever seen. <laughs> um, two stars. Bit shit. Didn't like this film. Didn't f- didn't film it funny, like the rest of Jim Carrey performances. Oh my god. Also has voice. Gets really old. What? An annoying <laughs> fast. This guy. How did you get on the first page of these reviews? You you can't even spell. <laughs> There's actually quite a few positive reviews, which is odd because well, because this movie is a cult classic. I yeah, mean, this movie yeah. is it, it became really popular on home video and home release. I'm not sure how they put how they put these in order, but yeah, I mean the the movie's only got 53 from critics and only 51 from audiences. Yeah, but yeah, there are people like us that. <laughs> They think it's highly underrated. Yeah. So um, I think this is probably a good point to stop um, Alrighty, talking man. about this movie and get to our game. It's time for Point Dog Millionaire with Rob and Jeremiah. Only on Real on Reels. Point Dog, Point Dog Millionaire. So, Jeremiah, you ready to play some Point Dog Millionaire? I'm ready, Rob. All right, well. Are you? I am. So this game is suspiciously like Who Wants to Be a Millionaire. Um, We have each come up with five questions for one another of increasing difficulty, movie-related questions. And they're each worth an increasing number of points. First question's worth one point. Second question's worth two points. So on and so forth. Jeremiah. Do you have the uh, Reel on Reels official game ledger? I do have the official Reel on Reels game ledger. I'm so happy. In front of me. I'm so happy. What um, <laughs> what What's our current point standing? At this point, we are at 19 to 15, and you are in the lead. Yes. That's amazing news. I we guess. don't. I, it, yeah, I mean, these points we don't really know what we're using them for, but but they do matter, right? This is so, not whose lines it anyway, ladies and gentlemen. Yes, but it is who wants to be a point dog millionaire, and much like who wants to be a millionaire, we have lifelines we can use. The first of which is the fifty-fifty, the classic fifty-fifty, where. Mm-hmm. The uh, four multiple choice questions that are given, or the, the four multiple choice answers that are given for each question, will be split in half. In other words, two of them will be eliminated to give you a 50 50 chance of getting the right answer. Yes. And <laughs> the second lifeline is Ask an AI. So we have a, and we have Alexa here in the studio. Hi, Alexa. 
All right, she's not talking. Um, we also have Siri with us here. Hi, hey Siri. Oh, uh, how's it going? I'm pretty good, Robbie. Thank you um, for Alexa answering. Alexa is not as polite as Siri, apparently. Yeah, um, she uh, probably wants a wants a raise. Hey Alexa, how are you? I've got that blissful feeling you get when you're singing songs around a campfire. All right. Oh, wow. She was more colorful with her response. Okay. All right. So, yeah, we pick an AI to choose. Uh, we choose an AI to uh, ask the question and hope if we only get one chance, if they don't know the answer or don't understand the answer, too bad and so sad. You're screwed. Yes. So we're at the whims and uh, we're, at the, we're, on, we're at the whims of this technology. And then the third and final lifeline we can use is ask the audience. But because we have no audience, it does nothing. Womp womp. So, all right. I'm going to go first. Let's get ready for some Point Dog Millionaire. Are you ready, Jeremiah? I'm as ready as I'll ever be. Good. Question one. What is the name of Han Solo's spaceship? Is it A, the Carillion, B, the Millennium Falcon, C, the Death Star, or D, Kevin? I really want to just answer Kevin, but it is B, the Millennium Falcon. Ding, 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 ding. That's one point for Jeremiah. Mark it in the Real Unreal's official game ledger that is currently at 485 pages. Hardbound. Um, Moroccan leather. I Well, I forgot to tell you. It's actually not. That's what I told you, just so you would put it in your lavish library that we record in it's actually human flesh well i never it's skin well it looks nice um yeah so the millennium falcon so did you know in last year lego released the the largest of their lego sets of all time and it was the millennium falcon wow and it cost eight hundred dollars <laughs> oh my God. there's over seventy five hundred pieces Eight hundred dollars? Yeah, that's astonishing. Legos are insanely expensive. Wow, I knew they were kind of expensive. Like I, I bought a Lego thing for like one of those uh, things where you buy buy gifts for kids. It's like a little right. tr- angel tree or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I bought. I spent like sixty bucks on like a nice like General Grievous Lego ship. But man, I didn't know that eight hundred dollars once. Wow. All right, so that was a point for you. I got it in the uh, official score ledger. Good. All right, Rob, your first question. Yes. By the way, um, the point system is simple. The first question is worth one. I already explained that. Oh, sorry. It was so simple that I explained (laughs) it already, and you didn't realize it. All right, Rob, question the first. Yes. Which NBA player did not appear in Space Jam, 1996. By the way, I went with kind of a 90s theme for my questions. Okay. I have no theme, so we should probably plan that better next time. Or at least each have a theme. No. I like oh. it this way. Okay. Well, fine. The least commu- the less communication, the better hmm. for podcast. Yeah. <laughs> Give me my question. <laughs> So, which which NBA player did not appear in Space Jam 1996? Uh, A. Charles Barkley. B. Patrick Ewing. C. Larry Bird. D. Damon Wayans. 
I'm going to have to go with D, Damon Wayans. You would be correct because Damon Wayans is an actor, not an NBA player. <laughs> you thought you could fool me, but um, alas, you've been hoisted by your own petard. Oh, wow. I'm going to have to look up those words so I know what is you... It ho- I think it's actually just <laughs> you've been hoisted by your... I don't know. <laughs> I have no idea. That sounded very medieval, though. Um, you're correct. But Damon Wayans was in an NBA movie. Well, a movie that had an NBA player, a fictional NBA player. <laughs> oh, yeah. Called uh, Celtic Pride from, oh, 19- yeah. from the same year, 1986. Great movie, Daniel Stern. I wouldn't say it's a great movie, but. It, it is. It's got Dan um, Aykroyd in it. A g- great movie. Two. Okay. Question two. Which film gauge is most commonly used in motion pictures? Is it A, 35 millimeter, B, 8 millimeter, C, 70 millimeter, or D, 16 millimeter? Um, wow, was was 35 millimeter an option? Yes, that's A. Okay, I'm going to go with option A. Final answer, Reg. All right, uh, Reg. <laughs> 35 millimeter is the correct answer. And did you know that Kodak is the only current producer of motion picture film? I didn't know that. Yeah. So. Wow. Almost a dying. Yeah, because everybody's using digital. So. Yep. In terms of cost, I mean, there's no question you're going to have more money left over to pay big name actors like Jim Carrey if yeah, you're using digital. For sure. All right. So, you're you, sec- are you keeping track of the points? I am keeping track of them, and I just got two points for that one because it right. was the second question. Yes. Rob, yeah. question the second. Hmm. What is the name of yeah. Rip Torn's character Ooh. in Men in Black, 1997? A, Ned, B, Red, C, Zed, or D, Ted? One of my favorite movies. The answer is C. Why do Zed. I keep picking the, your favorite movies? <laughs> I'm making it easy for you. Okay. You're correct. It's C, Zed. And you get two points from that, which I have recorded in the official ledger. Yes. All right. Question three for you. The 1927 film Metropolis was directed by which German expressionist director? Mm. A, F.W. Murnau. B. Robert Wien, C. Fritz Lang, or D. Joseph von Sternberg. Oh, I have seen Metropolis. It's great, and I'm pretty sure it was directed by a Fritz Fritz Lang. That is correct. Yes. Yep. That movie took almost a year and a half to film. It went over three and a half times the budget. Wow. That's insane. Yeah. Silent movie days. That was, uh, wow. That's yeah. something. Needless to say, the producer was fired. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, hey, for our benefit, I'm glad they did that. Yeah. Because <laughs> it's incredible. All right, Rob. Your third question. Yes. The version of the song... How Do I Live, that was featured at the end of the film Con Air, was performed by which country artists? A. Trisha Yearwood, B. Leanne Rimes, C. Shania Twain, or D. Martina McBride? Hmm. I have no idea. Um, I think I'm going to use a lifeline. 
All right, Rob. Which lifeline would you like to use? I'm going to use 50-50. All right. So I will eliminate two wrong answers. Two of the wrong answers are Leanne Rimes. Well, just tell me what's remaining. Oh, <laughs> that makes more <laughs> sense. All right. The two potential correct answers <laughs> are Trisha Yearwood and Martina McBride. All right. Um, let's go with... Martina McBride. Incorrect. Mm. Eh. Uh, it's kind of an interesting story, actually, hmm. because the song How Do I Live was originally recorded by Leanne Rimes for the movie Con Air, oh. and the studio thought it was too poppy, so they, they got Trisha Yearwood to do a more country-ish version of it, hmm. and so that's the one that ended up in the movie. However... The Leanne Rimes version became the most successful single of the 90s, according to Billboard. Yeah. So, and, and she ended up actually, Leanne, or, uh, excuse me, uh, Leanne Rimes, I think, yeah, I think it was Leanne Rimes ended up winning the Grammy for it, but Trisha Yearwood hmm. is the one that performed it. Oh, cool. <laughs> or maybe it was the other way around, but the one who actually performed at the Grammys didn't win it. Gotcha. All right. So, Rob, hit me with my next question. All right. Um, It's a pretty tough question three, Jeremiah. Hit me with it. I can handle it. No, I was saying the one that you just gave me was a tough, tough oh, yeah, question I guess three. It, well, kind of, I mean, it was about the most popular song of the decade, so. Mm, question four. <laughs> what is the name of the most prestigious film... Pr- uh, sorry. Question four. What is the name of the most prestigious prize at the Cannes Film Festival? Mm. Is it A, the Grand Prix? The Is it B... The Prix du Jury? Is it C, the Palme d'Or, or D, the César? Okay, I'm pretty sure I know what it is, but just to be on the safe side, I'm going to go ahead and use Alexa. All right. Hold on a second here. Let me... uh... All right. Alexa... What is the top prize at the Cannes Film Festival? I like Palm Door. She says she likes Palm Door. Palm Door. <laughs> There's a bit of a weird way of saying it. But um, I'm going to go with her answer. Palm Door. All right. Um, is that your final answer? That is my final answer, Reg. Alexa, is that your final answer? Alexa? Is that your final answer? Yes, it is. Good. Um, <laughs> that is correct. Ding, ding, ding. Palm d'Or. So that gives me four points? Uh, yes. And some past winners of the Palm d'Or are uh, The Third Man, MASH, Taxi Driver, Apocalypse Now, Pulp Fiction, Barton Fink. All fantastic movies. <sighs> yeah, wow. <laughs> Especially um, Barton Fink. That movie's incredible. Yeah, I'm a big, much bigger fan of the Palm d'Or than I am of the Academy Award. We should do a Coen Brothers series. For sure. We are planning a Paul Thomas Anderson series. For yes. those Paul Thomas Anderson nerds out there, we will be uh, doing getting real deep, films. Getting real deep into PTA. Yeah, we're, we're going to do every filmography. Or yes. His entire filmography. Yes. Um, all right. So I think it's my turn for question four. All right. Question four for you, Rob, is what is the name of Matt Dillon's fictional grunge band in the movie Singles from 1992? 
Is it A, Green River, B, Citizen Dick, C, Fat Lizzie, D, Subtle Distortion? Um, I don't want to, I guess I'll ask the audience. All right. Okay, I didn't hear anything back, so uh, I don't want to use my last lifeline yet. I'm going to go with Citizen Dick. Ooh, have you seen Singles? I have not. Oh, good guess. It is Citizen Dick. Yes. I just went with that one because it's the funniest. It's a, if it, then singles is a comedy. So. Yeah, I tried to come up with some other ones that were funny to, to distract you from that yeah. one. I thought Fat Lizzie was kind of funny. <laughs> yeah. Green River was a real band, band a real grunge oh, okay. band, preceding um, Mother Love Bone. Gotcha. All right, so we've got question five. HAL is the name of the computer that controls the spaceship in Stanley Kubrick's 1968 film, 2001, A Space Odyssey. But what is the name of the spaceship? Oh, that's tough. Is it A, Cygnus 2, B, Discovery 1, C, Explorer 1, or D, Genesis 2? Oh, man, that's tough. That's tough. Um... I have to use 50-50. All right. So the remaining answers are B, Discovery 1, or D, Genesis 2. Okay, uh, I'm going to go with Discovery 1 because Genesis 2 sounds lame. Ding, ding, ding. Yes. Yep. And uh, it's funny about that is when Stanley Kubrick and Arthur C. Clarke decided to work on the novel and the screenplay at the same time. They hmm, were going to work on them. They were going to work on them together and they were going to credit the movie as a uh, screenplay by Stanley Kubrick and Arthur C. Clarke based on a novel by Arthur C. Clarke and Stanley Kubrick. That was like their plan. That's so cool. I, d- they, I didn't know that, but they end. they eventually just ended up doing the project separately, but simultaneously. So the book is much different. The book kind of, explains like the major plot points while Kubrick's movie is kind of, you know, more ambiguous and yeah, we should cover that movie. There's some good content out there about, about the the deeper meanings on it. Yeah. And, um, yeah, it gets pretty, pretty deep. All right. right. So good job. You got five points. Thank you. I've got them recorded in the ledger. Good. My strategic use of lifelines has helped me out quite a bit. All right. Now your question number five, what type of animal is Gillian Anderson's character in Princess Mononoke from 1997? Is she a cat, an owl, a wolf, or a doe? Hmm. I think I'm going to ask an AI. All right. I might as well. Alexa, what animal did Gillian Anderson play in Princess Mononoke? Sorry. <laughs> I'm not sure. No. Oh, oh no. no. All right. What were the <laughs> options again? A cat, an owl, a wolf, or a doe? I'm going to go with a wolf. Ding, 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 ding. Yes. She does play a wolf. Of course, uh, Princess Mononoke is a film by Hayao Miyazaki, who is a guy who did a bunch of movies for the studio Ghibli which is a Japanese uh, anime studio. Mm. Some of his films are incredible. Spirited Away, Howl's Moving Castle, 
definitely a guy to check out. Cool. Jillian Ander- Anderson, of course, did the American overdub because the original movie is uh, done by Japanese. Also known as actors. the English overdub. Whatever. This one did the English matter. Um. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> All right, so that's our game. Have you tallied up our scores? I have tallied them up, but I have not added them yet to the previous so, scores. The answer to the question was no. <laughs> <laughs> you have a overall total of thirty one. Ooh. <laughs> you bastard. I have an over overall toward- total of thirty. <laughs> yes. <laughs> You're still one point well, ahead. You've caught up. This game of Point Dog Millionaire has tightened the gap. It has tightened the gap. All right. The crevasse, if you will. The crevasse. A vast matey. (laughs) All right. um, So, yeah, that's the game. That's the movie. And that's the show. Yeah. And if you would like to contact us on social media, we're on Facebook and Twitter. Just search Real Unreals. And you can also email us at official at gmail.com if you have any questions, suggestions, whatever. We're here. We're here for you. Um, we'll talk you. We'll talk to you. Maybe. I mean, let's be honest. Um, at this point, you, you're gonna get the you're gonna get the red carpet rolled out for you, basically. If you wanna, if you wanna contact us. So. Yeah, and as soon as we even get a a scent of fame, it'll be the opposite. You must roll a red carpet out for us. We've warned you all, but yeah. you know, again, we're at that point where. You're gonna get uh, you're gonna get some attention, yeah. Some tender love and care. So, just be warned. All right, guys. Until next time. Bye. See you guys next week. When the truth is found to, to be, be lies, and, and all the joy within you dies, don't you want somebody to love? Don't you need somebody to love? I would really like somebody to love. But it's hard to find somebody to love. Your eyes, I say, your eyes, they look, look like deep. But in your head, baby, I'm afraid you don't know where it is. There's a baby born on the left side of the body, ladies and gentlemen. There's an ambulance over by the scaffold thing. Shake it